is Monday, the 5th of October, 2020, Feast of St. Placid and his Companions. Welcome to episode 125 of the Barnhart Podcast. This is Mark Doherty sitting in for Super Nerd, and this is also episode four of the Matzacast. So, hello, Anne. Hello, Dr. Matza. Hey, Mark. Hey, Mark. Hey, Dr. Matza. So we'd, like, <laughs> hey, we'd like to start off with a quick prayer today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, Mystical Rose, make intercession for the Holy Church. Protect the Sovereign Pontiff. Help all those who invoke thee in their necessities. And since thou art the ever Virgin Mary and mother of the true God, obtain for us from thy most holy son, the grace of keeping our faith, of sweet hope in the midst of the bitterness of life, of burning charity, and the precious gift of final perseverance. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Excellent. So, uh, not anything going on in the world today. No, uh, really, no, really no. struggled to really struggled to pull together some some topics for for today. Why and are we even doing this? Yeah. <laughs> so so much to even pick up from from you. You just did a regular uh, podcast with Super Nerd on Friday, mm-hmm. and just you know so many things going on there. So, at first, I thought we'd start off with the topic of uh, Meghan Markle is a raging psychopath. But we, since we have Dr. Matzo, we've got some slightly different topics that we thought we'd cover instead. Speaking of I, raging psychopaths. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, everyone knows that Meghan Markle's a raging psychopath. We'd just be beating a dead horse at, at this point. So, yeah, we'll <laughs> skip it. We'll skip it. <laughs> so, lots going on. Obviously, uh, the President of the United States remains in hospital this morning, and uh, by the looks of things, and the the quantity and quality of, of tweets and the uptick therein, uh, it looks like he'll be coming out pretty soon. And every video he puts out, he looks perfectly. He's he's raging with the COVID. But he looks perfectly fine. And yeah. We can't know. We can't know what the situation is. Never mind the videographic evidence that he's completely, totally fine. He isn't even stuffed up and doesn't even cough. I, would that it were that the next time I get a cold that I'm not stuffed up and don't even cough. I mean... But there's there's no evidence. We can't know. Where's Pence? What which, which amendment is it? The twenty second amendment? The succession Na- amendment? Where's Nancy? Right, right, right. Get get the line of succession ready. He he could be he could be dead within the hour. It's just unbelievable, and it goes to show that when you confront people with actual evidence of things. They just rage at you now. I, I can't even remember. I made a post about it, and it's an Islamic term. Um, it's raging in the face of logic. I'm going to have to search my archives. It's been within the last year. I can't even remember what the term is. But that's that's what these people are doing now, raging in the face of logic. Well, and, and the, the root of that is that these people don't believe in objective reality. Yeah. So all they can do is rage against it because it's, it's something is staring them in the face that they've convinced themselves doesn't exist. Or, or, uh, and also the other side of the coin is that they've convinced themselves that something does exist that doesn't, namely any sort of a pandemic. Yeah, exactly. So this serves as a good jumping off point because uh, Dr. Matza is here and Trump actually figures into this, maybe, maybe not, uh, from uh, Archbishop Vigano's latest essay interview. 
uh, he quotes uh, he is quoted here as referring to Trump and you'll 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 notice this term from previous Matsakas quoting Trump as the last catacon Dr. Matza I want the movie rights um, <laughs> <laughs> oh so man it's so it's the interview by Francesco Batesi uh, with Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano, which is available at the Remnant, um, which has a lot of juicy morsels in it. Uh, that that quote about the catacomb being particularly of interest for us. Um, so we can we, I can launch into uh, a little summary of what that means essentially. We covered um, this in what is it Matzacast three? Is that when I, I think? Yeah, I think that's when we and we'll link that in the show notes too. So if anybody wants right. to go back and get the full episode on where that whole thing is discussed, but we're going to assume that by now, if people are listening to this one, they probably listened to the previous ones. So we won't completely rehash it, but give us a little bit of a review. Right. Exactly. So it goes back to Saint Paul. Uh, talking about the coming apostasy and the coming of the of the Antichrist. Uh, and of course, St. Paul was writing in Greek, and he says, um, well, the English translation is, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you this? Well, told them what? Uh, he's writing to the Thessalonians. This is St. Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 2. And so he, he reminds them, he says, and you know what is restraining him meaning him, meaning the Antichrist. Uh, and you know what what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. And then in the second sentence, it goes from being a what to being a who. Only mm-hmm. he who now restrains it uh, will do so until he is out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed, and the Lord Jesus Christ will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by his appearing and his coming. Uh, so this is the sequence of events. You've got the restrainer or the restraining force or both holding back the forces of Antichrist. He's going to stop doing that. He's going to be stepping aside, and the uh, floodgates will open, and the the false prophet of the Antichrist, and then the Antichrist himself will come, and then the second coming of our Lord, right, you know, shortly thereafter. And so down through the centuries, different church fathers have had different ideas as to who this, you know, who is Paul talking about? And that's um, that's that's an interesting subject, if you want me to continue. Well, that's kind of, that's kind of the crux of it, isn't it? Is who who is this? Is this um we love Archbishop Vigano and we love what he's doing and he's standing up and he's speaking and God bless him and God love him. But I let me just act as the voice of the audience for a minute. When I first read that 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 Archbishop Vigano is calling Donald J Trump the catacon. I mean, just just stop and think about that for a second. You've got this is this is scripture. This is the New Testament. This is the inerrant word of God inspired by the Holy Ghost. Second Thessalonians two is talking about Donald Trump. 
I mean, doesn't that kind of make that just puts my teeth on edge? So um, let me be on that side of the argument. And then, Mark, if you want to take the other side, Dr. Matza, if you want to split the middle, go for it. The, the one thing I'd like to poke at before we get to Donald Trump is the way the, the structure of this chapter, and you just touched on it, Dr. Matza, how it goes from, and there's been a ton written about this, and I've been reading about it here for the last couple months, how St. Paul goes from talking about a what to a who in terms of the catacomb, which makes me think of that it's not necessarily the same thing, and could the what be more of a... Office? um, I don't know. I think of it more of like an array of forces versus a single man or something along those lines. And I've seen some things written about this. And there's also the notion of it being more politically focused versus theologically focused. So that those, those are kind of the areas that I'd like to see sussed out a little bit. Okay. Dr. Matza? So, yeah, I mean... Um... So to first to address your point, Anne, I'll, I'll play devil's advocate a little bit here. Um, so again, as, as you guys know, uh, like yourselves, I've been doing a lot of research on the catacomb over the summer. And one of the things I've found out is that Cardinal Newman and Car- Cardinal Manning, right, the two great lights of the uh, 19th century you know, English church, and for that matter, the universal church, both addressed the issue of Antichrist, and they both addressed the issue of uh, the catacomb, uh, which is quite fascinating. And it's interesting that that um, in in the book where he talks about this, or the talk where Newman, for example, talks about the catacomb and about the Antichrist, he's actually got an interesting um, little take on Scripture. And I, I, if I can find the exact quote, I would I would read it for you. Let me see if I can find this in a reasonable amount of time here. Yeah, here we go, Newman Reader. And what what Newman says is he addresses kind of what you said, like, you know, you said your teeth were kind of set on edge that we could take scripture and a prophecy and then apply it to, you know, a contemporary personage. Um, And what, what Newman says here is that when the fathers of the church speak about doctrine uh, and they interpret scripture, they're not really interpreting scripture. They're handing down what the apostles actually taught, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. Right. It's not their, he says, Cardinal Newman says, they do not speak of their own private opinion, right? They do not say this is true because we see it in scripture, because that's, that's Protestant, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so he says, so Newman says, I say this, and the fathers say this as regards doctrine, but it is otherwise when they interpret prophecy. And Newman was of the opinion, he says, in this matter, there seems to have been no Catholic, no formal and distinct, or at least no authoritative traditions, so that when the fathers interpret scripture, they are for the most part giving and professing to be giving either their own private opinions or vague, floating, and merely general anticipations. Now, of course, he goes on to say that because they're the fathers of the church, we should take their opinions seriously. So... I don't think it's wrong to think that, um, you know, somebody like President Trump could be the, the fulfillment of a prophecy just because it's it sounds a little kooky or it sounds like not solemn enough, so to speak. Um, you, you see where I'm going with yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that being said, um, 
just as there are, you know, precursors to Christ in the Old Testament, and just as there have been precursors to the Antichrist down through the last 2,000 years, mm -hmm. we could say that there are precursors to the Catacomb, or, or uh, if you want to look at it that way. Um, in fact, a little shameless plug here. Um, I've just come up with a, a new mini course uh, I've decided to offer during the Sundays of Advent, where I'm going to compare the coming of Christ with the coming of in his church with the coming of the Antichrist Ooh. and his anti-church. So check out the uh, the Maza blog and uh, sign up right away. <laughs> cool. Um, but um, anyway, uh, to, to, to talk about the general question of the catacomb, the, the early church fathers to a man all pretty much said that they thought it was Rome. And that's why, um, you know, Paul is being kind of hush-hush about it, right? Because he doesn't want to say anything disparaging about Rome. And what do I say disparaging? Because at some point, whoever the catacomb is or whatever the restraining force is, it's going to stop restraining. And that would be suggesting that the Roman Empire is not eternal. And, you know, that's 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 uh, treason. <laughs> so, of course... In a, but we, we talked about the, we talked about this in episode no. three in the in the third Matzacast, right? Because yeah. the mm -hmm. the Roman Empire did collapse, and so mm -hmm. therefore, logically, we should take it that whether whatever Paul meant, the question is, what did the Holy Ghost mean? And it clearly right. it, it's a proof set that it can't be the Roman Empire, right? Well, this is what Cardinal Newman says. He says here, I would grant that he that withholdeth or hindereth means the power of Rome. For all the ancient writers so speak of it. And I grant that as Rome, according to the prophet Daniel's vision, succeeded Greece, right? Because Daniel has this vision of the four kingdoms, mm -hmm. right? I think we talked about that in Mazacast 3. Um, so Antichrist succeeds the fourth kingdom, which is Rome, and then the second coming succeeds the Antichrist. But this is what Newman says. He says, but it does not hence follow that Antichrist has already come. For it is not clear that the Roman Empire is gone. Far from it. The Roman Empire, in the view of prophecy, remains even to this day. And he goes on to say that in Daniel's vision, which is, again, if, you want, if the audience wants chapter and verse here, it's Daniel 7.7. 7. The fourth beast, which is the most terrible, is struck by a stone, by a rock. Hmm. And then um, there are 10 kings that shall rise out of this kingdom. Um, and, and as then the 10 horns belong to the fourth beast and were not separate from it. So the kingdoms into which the Roman Empire was divided are but the continuation uh, and termination of that empire itself, uh, which lasts and in some sense lives, lives on in the view of prophecy. So uh, there is a sense in which, or at least according to Cardinal Newman, that you could look at successor kingdoms that are still that still hold the power of Rome, if you want to look at it that way. And this gets very interesting because we could think of, I mean, my mind immediately turns to Carl, blessed Carl of Austria. Right. Right. Uh, and who was the uh, Holy the last, Roman Emperor. Uh, <laughs> exactly, which is the successor kingdom to the Roman Empire. Um, and, and this gets, I mean, we, we could go down a rabbit hole with Carl because um, I've also been doing research on him, and I not many people know this, but he actually did not resign his um, emperorship. Um, he uh, he 
what's the how should we put this? He he kind of pulled a Benedetto here. <laughs> he uh, guess who broke exactly that news? Right. Guess who broke that news? I think that was it. Was I first, Mark, on that one, or were you first? I think on, so. I think I was I first so. on that yep. one. Yep, yep, yep. It's uh, he they, he did exactly. Show notes, definitely, absolutely. He um he gave he surrendered only um the power the power for governance, but he retained the he retained the crown and said to the his the monarchy and said to his dying breath i did not abdicate i am the holy roman emperor so yeah it just it's it, that's why we've been we've had now for it's been a couple of years it might be longer than a couple of years now um we've had blessed carl and servant of god zeta as um you know prayer buddies and intercessors and all of this because boy they lived it they lived it exactly i'm only going to give up governance of the state under under the coercion of who freemasons explicitly under the coercion of freemasons so yeah blessed carl and and zeta are huge the the forces of he was fighting the, the forces of antichrist and um so just to kind of wrap this up um our contemporary writers and, and, and thinkers, both in East and West, who would argue that, uh, that, that in a sense, Trump is, is a catacomb because America has sort of taken the mantle of Rome or Western civilization, or certainly Trump has. And then in, in the East, some people would say and argue, <clears throat> and of course, this is subject to debate, that Putin is the catacomb. Uh, that's even worse that's even worse (laughs) i know but it's a debatable point (laughs) (laughs) so and i think we can at least say even if we're not talking about the catacomb of second thessalonians chapter two both of these men in some way it would seem maybe maybe i won't give you putin but trump certainly is a type of catacomb and what happened in 2016, I don't know if I'm going to call it miraculous, but that was that is something. And when you see and there's parallels here with Bergoglio, because what happened in 2016 in the United States allowed us to see the extent of the deep state that would have never been known. Yes. And the same thing is true uh, with Bergoglio and the anti-church, we never would have had the visibility yes. to how deep and stinking the the rot really is if if his anti-papacy hadn't happened. So there's a lot of parts here that I'm not sure how they all fit together, but, right. you know. And, and Cardinal Manning, uh, who, you know, was the contemporary of Newman, he had a slightly different take on this. Cardinal Manning thought that it's it's the Pope in union with you know the power of Christendom, uh, of the secular powers or the temporal powers, that represented the uh, the catacomb, uh, mm-hmm. and so I, you know, I strongly side with with that interpretation, and yeah. I see that let's say once Blessed Carl went down, really the only thing that was holding us back against the Antichrist was the papacy, and then you, you want to argue that uh, you know Vatican II, and then uh, uh, Benedetto stepping aside, so to speak, in 2013, and, and we've really seen the face of Antichrist now and the coming attractions of it. Well, I want to jump back. Something you said when you were um, talking about Newman, you know, set off my spidey sense. Um, mm-hmm. You said the power of Rome. Um, if if we could call. Um, 
the Vatican as as the Holy See in Rome, if we could if we could put if we could categorize that as the power of Rome, um, Marco Tosati and I mentioned this on the last on the last podcast, but I don't know if everyone's heard it yet because it was just a few days ago. Marco Tosati came out with a piece not too long ago, within the last week, wherein he he speculates theorizes that actually what they are trying to do with regards to the to the Vatican. Vatican City in total, and it speaks to this whole notion of demythologizing everything. They want to basically eliminate everything. Tosati thinks that what they're trying to do is they're trying to throw the Vatican City state into such a state of massive insolvency that what they then do as as basically a bankruptcy maneuver is hand the whole thing over to the United Nations as a UNESCO World Heritage Site and it just all becomes a huge museum. And if you think about it, that would be the Luciferian ideal handed over to the UN, to the One World Government, which, by the way, what do we see in Tutti for Tutti? There's an entire section where Bergoglio's ghostwriters, Team Bergoglio, says the UN has to be given teeth. It has to be given real hardcore teeth to cut to come into its own to come to fruition as an overarching one world government tosadi's the- thesis fits in absolutely perfectly with this oh we're all just so broke and you know we just need to turn it over to unesco it is a world heritage site we'll just turn all of the financial stuff over to them so in a certain sense all of this insolvency and and wild financial goings on that's that's been exposed in the Vatican in terms of the luciferian plan which is the big plan that's all intentional do do it throw it into complete corruption and insolvency so that the entire planet what did we just have this past sunday wasn't this past sunday the the alleged peter's pence collection Everyone across the planet is saying there's no way in hell I'm giving any money to this. Everyone right now, all Catholics are saying the same thing. Cut the Vatican off financially. So what you would then have is if if somebody came forward and said, look, the Vatican is so hopelessly corrupt, we just have to shut it down and hand it over and make it UNESCO. I, I think that most Novus Ordo Catholics would be like, "Yep, it's a, it's it's too far gone. Just just close close the books down, liquidate everything, settle things up, file bankruptcy, turn it into a into a World Heritage Site." I think that's that sounds terrifyingly plausible. And Vigano says that in his second interview, he's basically thinking along the same lines. Uh, there's another interview that's published at LifeSite News where he says. Um, in this recent event, the constant theme that can be seen is the attitude of Santa Marta, which has been compared in many quarters to that of a South American junta. Uh, I believe instead that behind this dripping of scandals involving prominent personalities of the hierarchy in the Roman Curia, there is the deliberate will to demolish the church herself, to discredit her before the world, to compromise her authority and credibility before the faithful. And he says, the operation we have been witnessing for the past seven terrible years is clearly aimed at the destruction of the Catholic institution through the loss of credibility, disaffection and disgust for the actions and unworthy behavior of its members. Mm -hmm. And then he really 
drops the bomb. He says, an operation that began with the sexual scandals already under the previous pontificates, but which this time is to be seen as the protagonist, as the main actor, precisely the one who sits on the throne. Mm -hmm. I wonder who that could be. <laughs> and who, with his own words and works, is able to deal the most devastating blows to the papacy and the church. And here's the money line. The quote-unquote demythologization of the papacy, advocated, advocated by progressives, essentially consists in its ridicule, in its profanation, mm -hmm. that is, in making it profane, not sacred. And here's the line. It is unheard of and very serious that this subversive operation is carried out by those who hold that papacy and wear its robes, albeit awkwardly. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Yes. And I think what this all speaks to, the buzzword that just keeps coming back to my mind, is that key attribute of the church, which is visibility. What if, ladies and gentlemen, what if the visibility isn't, um, isn't ocular? What if the visibility of the church is, the, is integrity? And if everybody has lost all faith in the integrity of the church militant, is, can, couldn't we then categorize that as a type of of visibility slash invisibility. If nobody thinks that the Vatican has any credibility at all, isn't that sort of like saying that it's invisible? Or it's like saying if if it is invisible, then that can't be the church. Right. It's 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 Satan messing with this entire notion of where are people going to look when, when you say, where is the church? Well, if they stop looking to the Vatican City, St. Peter's, the Apostolic Palace, etc., etc., if they stop looking, if they stop looking to the, in quotes, the Pope, because Bergoglio, as, as um, Archbishop Vigano said, has, is, bit, is on this attack to demythologize. Mark, where did we first hear that term? Well, I guess we first heard it uh, going back to the 50s and 60s, especially the 60s in, uh, in Germany, mm -hmm. and all those uh, German theologians trying to outsmart one another. Uh, but we also heard it at a certain audience at the Greg. Yes, indeed we in did. 20, in 2016, didn't we? Oh, and then, and then we also read about it ad nauseum in the Miller dissertation, going on and on and on about it. And then, yeah, Ganswine. Ganswine's talking about how, oh, you know, this form has expired, absolute monarchy. It's, it's no longer relevant in today's world, and we have to demythologize this and and break it up and make it synodal it's it it's like uh, i'm remembering i posted some chesty puller quotations um within the last week or 10 days and one of his most famous is okay they're to our right they're to our left they're in front of us they're behind us we're surrounded well they can't get away from us now we're, we're i mean it's right. everywhere you turn so at least makes it, the job easier makes it easier <laughs> <laughs> well going back to what um that that last quote from Archbishop uh, Archbishop uh, Vigano, he's he's using the present tense and the plural. Uh, 
by saying those who hold that papacy. Mm -hmm. So he's, you know, the run-up to this was clearly uh, denouncing the anti-church. But in this money quote right here, he's actually calling out Benedict for what he's done. Well, Just sure. as much as, you know, so it's it's very interesting. And one one must wonder how close he might be to making some sort of formal declaration. Well, I think they're all just somebody's waiting for someone else to step to the front. And um, well, I'll I'll refrain from making comment on that. But when it happens, it happens. And just mm-hmm. ho- hope it soon. Hope it soon. You know, it's it's a matter of, and I think we're going to maybe move into the next topic now. But uh, something, perhaps, is there a last straw for uh, one of the cardinals or one of the archbishops or a group of them maybe agreeing on what the last straw might be? Because we had a new encyclical entered into the record yesterday, uh, which yesterday, in addition to being the um, the the feast of Saint Francis was also the one-year anniversary of the Pacamama being worshipped in the Vatican Gardens. Yep. Call that a coincidence if you want, but, you know, hey. But uh, the Tutti Frutti encyclical and uh, the number of issues, I don't know if anyone's read it all the way through yet. I certainly haven't. But um, No one will. It's, like, it's 45,000 words. And I've, yeah. I've just been watching, you know, out of the corner of my eye, just little comments that come up here and there on it. A couple people have read it, and they say it is absolutely insufferable. It's just it's just thousands and thousands and thousands of words of of total word salad it's it's mindless it's ridiculous it's you know yeah right it's babble and uh, yeah probably forty three thousand words don't mean anything yep yep uh so a couple of the things that we wanted to talk about the first of which is the the so this a lot of this is focused around uh, Freemasonry and brotherhood and uh, things of that nature and and the that there's you know the, we all worship the the one God is 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 a big theme here as well so we wanted to get into the misrepresentation of Bergoglio in terms of uh, Saint Francis and Islam and some other things here that just people need to understand that there is one true God and you really need to know who he is. So I don't know if, who who among you wants to dive into that? Well, let me just start by saying there's literally a chapter in Tutti Frutti that is called Liberty, Equality, Fraternity. I God, know! Can that, you believe it? That is the battle cry <laughs> of the French Revolution. The genocidal evil beyond description. That, and, you know, thank, thank goodness they left off the last phrase of the French Revolution slogan, Liberty, Equality, Fraternity, or Death. This was their this was their battle cry. There's a chapter in this damn thing named that. I mean, that they, they aren't. I mean, Satan is 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 laughing his butt off right now because he's into the phase now where he can pretty much say or do anything, um, or he thinks he can say or do anything, and he's pushing it, pushing it, pushing it as hard as he can. I'm thinking of having a T-shirt made on the front that's going to say "Liberté, Equality, Fraternité," and in the back it will say "End Death." Uh, yeah, yeah. The other travesty, as Mark alluded here, is 
they're making St. Francis the patron saint of the anti-church. Mm-hmm. Because last year was when they did the Pachamama uh, idolatry. Um, and, and this year is when it's tutti frutti and the, you, you, let's all embrace the UN. Um, and he starts out the encyclical by misrepresenting totally St. Francis. This is fake news Francis, okay? Mm. Um, he talks about an actual thing that actually happened uh, either 800 years ago this year or 800 years ago last year where Francis, during the Crusades, went to meet with the Sultan in Egypt. Um, And what he writes is, um, this is very, you know, modern. We all know that the tactics of the modernists, they they mix truth with error uh, and make it even more poisonous Mm -hmm. by doing it that way, right? Yep. Yep. So uh, let me, let's go through the truth and through the error at the same time here. So... Francis went, this is, I'm quoting from the encyclical, Francis went to meet the Sultan with the same attitude that he instilled in his disciples if they found themselves, quote, among the Saracens and other non-believers. All right, so Saracen was the medieval word for a Mohammedan, uh, for a Muslim. And he says, uh, without renouncing their own identity, they were not, not, quote, to engage in arguments or disputes, but to be subject to every human creature for God's sake, unquote. Now, first of all, I just got to say, this this man in Rome is telling us that we have to be subject to Islam? Yeah. <laughs> we have to submit? Yeah. Um, and what he's doing is he's, he's taking a, a true document and he's, and he's twisting it. So the document that he's quoting is from the rule of St. Francis of the year 1221, which does start out uh, by saying that one, it says here that uh, indeed the friars who go, in other words, among the, the Muslims, can conduct themselves spiritually in two manners, but he only quotes the one manner, right? He said, the document says, one manner is that they cause no arguments or strife, but be subject to every human creature for God's sake, which is First Peter chapter 2, verse 13. But the second part of that is, and confess themselves to be Christians. All right, so even with that one point, he's leaving out the second half of it. But the document, and this is very important, the document continues, the other manner in which they can conduct themselves spiritually among the Muslims, when they have seen that it pleases God, they announce the word of God so that the Muslims may believe in God, the omnipotent Father and Son and Holy Spirit, the creator of all things, and in the Redeemer and Savior, the Son, and that they may be baptized and become Christians. Uh-huh. Heaven he forbid. Left that <laughs> Proselytism is a sin. Solemn nonsense. Solemn nonsense. nonsense. Mm. Yep. yep. And yes, so it's, it's no it's surprise. Disgusting. It's no surprise that he would that he would be trying to tell people to submit to Islam because, as I've been saying for like over a decade now, the the Soros, the New World Order, the powers that be, they have, they think that they are going to use and are using Islam as their mercenary enforcement arm 
for as long as they need to bring to bring the world under under their submission. And um, by the way, what are they now trying to get everybody to do at all times? Um, wear a a face covering. Don't think that that's just some sort of a coincidence. It isn't. The whole face covering thing is part and parcel with all of this. This this fusion between the new world order and and Islam, and then the new world order thinks that once they have power, they'll crush Islam. But I, <laughs> they got another thing coming because the Muslims are willing, actually willing to fight, and none of these panty wastes in the new world order. Uh, they don't have the they don't have the stones if you ask me um they they can all be just terrified exactly like the muslims i'm reminded of at the end of the terror in the french revolution when they started when the french revolutionaries started turning on each other and most of them when they were led to the guillotine they were hysterically sobbing screaming um completely lost it whereas the christians who went to the guillotine um including king louis and queen marie antoinette and of course the the carmelite nuns and everything it was that the people saw the difference in the comportment between the christians who were taken to their death and to the french revolutionaries who turned into screaming little girls basically Indeed. Well, it's said that the the comportment of the of the nuns the the terror ended within days mm-hmm. of of that happening, and it's said that the witness of well, you could say the witness of the nuns as well, of course, but the witness the witness to the witnesses uh, was a was a large reason that the 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 countryside was won over or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Definitely, um, and uh, just to to wrap this up with a ribbon here about about St. Francis and the Sultan. So the encyclical continues, Francis did not wage a war of words aimed at imposing doctrines. He simply spread the love of God. He understood that, quote, God is love and those who abide in love abide in God, unquote. First John chapter four, verse 16. In this way, he became a father to all and inspired the vision of a fraternal society oh my gosh it's obscene it's obscene quote only this this is like a knife through the heart indeed quote only the man who approaches others not to draw them into his own life but to help them become ever more fully themselves can truly be called a father thank you oprah oh my gosh (laughs) No, again. no, it's the, it's the church of it's it's the church of Whitney Houston. <laughs> Whitney no, Houston. That's you, my head yes, thanks, Mark. Learning to love yourself is the greatest, <laughs> greatest love. love. Of all <laughs> I believe the children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. I can't. I can't believe I you missed know that all one. The words. Of course I do. Of course <laughs> I do. On the count of three. <laughs> That's going to be the new. That's going to be the new um, default entrance hymn for the Nova Sordo. <laughs> please, please open. Please open um, to to page thirty four on your on your iPhone because of course we can't have hymnals anymore because you know you'll get you'll get Don't the COVID and you'll die. Yeah. And open to page thirty four and let us all now sing. Um, I believe the children are our future, the greatest love of all. Yeah, oh, yeah. We we laugh. We laugh now. <laughs> And again, this flies right in the face of what uh, the Franciscan rule 
actually says, right? So it says that, again, if, if they think it pleases God, they should announce the, God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Um, these things and others, uh, they, they, should, they should continue by saying, because um, the Lord says in the gospel, every man who confesses me before men, him I will confess also before my Father who is in heaven, mm -hmm. and he who is ashamed of me, and of my discourses, of him, the Son of Man, will also be ashamed. So this is in the rule of the Franciscans here, which says you're not supposed to shut up about Jesus because then you're not going to enter into eternal life. Right. Everything's opposite. Everything's inverted. That, yep. that's, that's how clearly visible it's meant to be. Mm -hmm. You're exactly right, Mark. It's, it's again back to that concept of visibility. Folks, at this point, I mean seriously, <laughs> what are you going to say if you get hit by a bus tomorrow and you go to your particular judgment and there's our Lord hanging on the cross looking down at you, what are you going to say? You say, there's, there's no way we could have known. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's just patently ridiculous at this point. That you, If you can't see this at this point... You've got blinkers on, whatever it is, if it's ideological, if it's the, being in the state of mortal sin and having, having your intellect darkened, um, unworthy reception of the Eucharist, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, whatever it is, if you can't see this at this point, I just, I don't even know. I mean, we got to keep fighting and, and presumably more and more people will, will wake up, but boy, I, I just... Short, short of our Lord appearing in the sky with a PowerPoint presentation of some sort, I, I don't see how this could get any clearer. And just so people know what Francis, St. Francis actually said to the Sultan, we have an original source, a primary source that tells us. Wow. All right. This, the Sultan said to Francis, kind of like the uh, Sadducees and Pharisees tried to trick Jesus, Sultan Al-Kamil said to Francis, well, aren't you Christians supposed to turn the other cheek? So you're not even following the gospel by making war on us. And according to the sources, this is what Francis said in reply, the, that the gospels also say, if thy right eye scandalize thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is expedient for thee that one of thy members should perish rather than that thy whole body be cast into hell. And if thy right hand scandalize thee, cut it off and cast it from thee, for it is expedient for thee that one of thy members should perish rather than that thy whole body should go into hell. St. Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 through 30. So in other words, Francis uh, went on to explain this to the sultan and said that the sultan was actually as dear to him as his own eye. However, because of their blasphemy against Jesus, against the name of Christ, and because they alienate people from the Holy Sepulchre, they need to be cut off, even though, you know, like like a, the eye or the arm. So that's the peaceful St. Francis yeah. telling, telling a, basically a justification for just war against the Sultan to his face. Yep, yep. Right. St. Francis has been misrepresented long before this rise of the anti-church and, you know, a complete recasting of him as this, as this, gentle delicate flower and that is not who he was let's be honest he's been recast as a gay dope smoking hippie 
And I mean, it's true. It's true. They've, they've, they've just tried to completely emasculate him totally. And um, they've, they've done a heck of a job because lots and lots and lots and lots of people believe this crap. Um, it's, been a, it's been a propaganda war for decades, nay, probably over a century now. And, you know, since, since we're talking about, you know, uh, Francis being a peacenik, uh, the, the subject of war comes up in the encyclical mm. and I've got some doozies for you if you can stand it uh, you, you know Bergoglio likes fabulous footnotes alright here's fabulous footnote 242 St. Augustine who forged a concept of just war that we no longer uphold in our own day oh my gosh. also said <laughs> quote it is a higher glory still to stay war itself with a word than to slay men with the sword and to procure or maintain peace by peace, not by war, unquote. Um, what you're talking about, Willis? Right. Do you, you, you realize what he's doing here. He is trying to convince the post-Christian West that it is completely, totally, morally forbidden for people to resist what's going on now you right. you it's, may it's, not fight back yep there is no just war yeah you that, you cannot do is. anything you cannot resist no matter what tyranny comes no matter what they do if they're trying to inject your children with sterilants if they are if they throw the your entire country into into literal famine if they are if they eventually get to the point where they're um, murdering people in the streets what Bergoglio as part of this of as part of this cabal is trying to do is he's trying to bullshit people into believing that it is completely and totally morally impossible for them to resist any of this that's what he's doing and that holding arms of any sort Oh yeah, immoral. is immoral. You may not, you may not have firearms. You may not defend yourself. Nothing. Yep. And paragraph two fifty eight of Tutti Frutti uh, literally says that it says the truth is we can no longer think of war as a solution <laughs> because its risks will probably always be greater than its supposed benefits. Let's let's test your hypothesis, buddy. <laughs> Let me at him, you know. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. In view of this, it is very difficult nowadays to invoke the rational criteria elaborated in earlier centuries to speak of the possibility of a just war. Never again war. Quoting Paul Paul the Sixth at the UN in nineteen sixty-five. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> Yeah, and, and it's always going back to it's the same language that we heard time and time again in Amoris Laetitia. It can no longer be said, or mm-hmm. nowadays, uh, you know, it's it's just establishing this the nonsense that the moral law is changeable. And you know, I find this so ironic because what is the most common prayer? in the entire church that everybody everybody knows it and hears it so often that clearly people don't even 
don't even regard it, think about it, comprehend what it means. The Gloria Patri. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. As it was was in the the beginning, beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. People, People are so far gone, and that's, I think it is true, that that's just become blah, 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 babble words that most people today just say and don't even think about it irony of ironies yes and i thought you were gonna i thought you were going with holy 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 lord god of power and might heaven and earth are full of your glory hosanna in the highest it's not lord of god of power and might it's the god of armies lord of hosts yes yes in battle (laughs) but and you also had a great quote on a recent post you did uh from a a I, who was a raving uh, modernist, who then became a semi-modernist, um, and, and Benedict, I think it was Benedict or John Paul made him a cardinal, Avery Cardinal Dulles, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Lord rest his soul. And you, you got a money quote here. In 2004, he says, the reversal of a doctrine as well established as the legitimacy of capital punishment would raise serious problems regarding the credibility of the magisterium. Mm-hmm. Consistency with scripture and long-standing Catholic tradition is important for the grounding of many current teachings of the Catholic Church. For example, those regarding abortion, contraception, the permanence of marriage, and the ineligibility of women for priestly ordination. If the tradition on capital punishment had, had been reversed, serious questions would be raised regarding other doctrines, unquote. Yep, exactly. And again, back to the Chesty Puller quote about us being surrounded. So you've got Bergoglio and that team, you know, saying, okay, as Mark said, every other sentence is prefaced with, it is no longer, you know, insinuating that that all of this is changing. What we also now have on the other side is you have trad Francis's Pope intransigent uh, players now saying, okay, this is all, we've been wrong about everything. If if, If Pope Francis publishes this encyclical, then that must mean that we've been completely wrong about papal infallibility. We've been completely wrong about the magisterium. We've been completely wrong about the indefectibility of the church. So we are surrounded on all sides. You've got the Bergolians saying it, and you've got the intransigent Francis's Pope people, trads, or, you know, demi-trads or quasi-trads or whatever you want to call them, or soon to be Eastern Orthodox, if we're going to be perfectly honest about it. Um, so, like Chesty Puller said, all right, we're surrounded. That makes it simpler. Right, because once you have the, you have a, well, you have a couple of things going on. The Trojan horse of a changeable doctrine just unlocks every other nasty thing to come out where everything's on the table if you can if you can change something that was a moral precept then you can change any of them yeah so that's why you see when when you see so here we're talking about the death penalty and it's no longer uh how did they phrase it no longer admissible or something like that (laughs) yeah of of course james martin is cheering this on with both pom-poms because Guess what it means? It means he get he gets to 
push what he wants to push for. That's gross. Uh, J- J- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, James Martin is doing Bob Fosse jazz hands right now because the human beings, um, Lucifer's ultimate objective is obviously um, larger potatoes than just mere sodomy. But for the human beings that we're talking about, these infiltrators of the church, these diabolical narcissist psychopaths, sex perverts, when, when you're dealing with sodomites, the, the thing that is f- uh, at the forefront of their minds, the forefront of their existence, what everything revolves around is the sodomy, protecting the sodomy, procuring the sodomy, getting the sodomy ratified. It's, it's their top priority. It's their top ideological priority. So you're exactly right that that's what the death penalty thing, that's what that's aiming towards is they all want, all these guys in the Vatican, most of them are sodomites, they all want it ratified. And they want the age of consent lowered, they want sex with children, they've already, what are, what's the law that they just passed in California? You can have, um, uh, as long as there is less than a 10-year differential in age, age of consent for a same-sex couple, they dropped it to like 13. So a 22-year-old man could have quote-unquote consensual sex with a 13-year-old boy. That's what they're and, trying to do in California. And won't, won't be put on the sex offenders registration. Right. Am I, am I correct about that, Dr. Matza? Because you, you live out there, don't you? Yeah, I, I, under, I believe the wording is, is that it's um, four, four, 14. So it's, 14, if, okay. If somebody 24... Uh, rapes a 14-year-old, he will not be put on the uh, uh, register, no, sex offenders registration. Exactly. To prevent it from happening again. So, yep. um, yeah, and, I, and just, just, I'm sorry, Mark, did you want to? Oh, I just wanted to make sure everybody, just before we leave, if we're leaving the topic of the death penalty, understands the twofold reason why it's not only licit, but it's, it's, that God demands it. Yeah. And that is first in his, you know, is God infinite mercy? Yes. Is God infinite love? Yes. He's also infinite justice. And to mete out a sentence that is unequal to the crime that has been committed, that is a grave injustice and, and will not stand. The, the second notion is that injustice also applies to the guilty party mm-hmm. it's an injustice to him to have a, a sentence meted out that is insufficient because the ultimate goal of course is to get everyone to heaven it's about saving souls even the souls of the guilty mm-hmm. and if you have a punishment that is that that is less than the crime it doesn't drive sufficient contrition and conversion which is the whole point so i don't know if you guys want to add anything to that? But well, that's... you take you take like the example of Ted McCarrick. Um, if Ted McCarrick dies at peace in his bed, he's almost certainly not going to make any sort of of um, of repentance at all. For a guy like McCarrick, who is that much of a psychopath and is that far gone, pretty much the only hope that he has would be knowing you are going to be hung by the neck until you are dead at six o'clock tomorrow morning, period. 
you need to get square with God if you so choose. There has to be for, for people, for diabolical narcissists, for psychopaths, for people who are that far gone, that far gone, the only hope they have is the certain knowledge with a set time that you are going to die. We are going to kill you. You are going to be executed. That is a mercy right there. The other point that I want to make that Mark touched on is that when you don't when you don't meet out um justice commensurate with the crime or you just say nobody should be punished for anything what you're essentially doing and this is again this is the new world order freemasonic agenda you need to convince humanity that basically we're all just animals and we just follow our animal senses and we're not culpable in any way for any of the decisions that we make and so you know if musloid guy rapes and murders a woman well he's he's just an animal or if nigerian guy rapes a girl and cuts her up well he's he's just a damn monkey and this is literally what they're trying to convince people of that we're just all just all we are is animal passions and therefore we're not culpable for anything that we do Go ahead, it's Doctor. Gnosticism. I'm sorry. It's Gnosticism. It's um, <clears throat> Manichaeanism. This idea that kind of like Jessica Rabbit, I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's um, like you said. It, 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 all, all things are justifiable because it's, it's, it's this crazy Gnostic counterfeit Christianity. Mm-hmm. And, and don't get us started because we could go down the rabbit hole of evolution and how the how evolution has poisoned has poisoned the zeitgeist into buying into this that we're just we're just, you know, hairless monkeys basically. Hey, and but, but guys, how important it is to dream together. <laughs> um, as, as as fellow I can't move with a straight face. As fellow, as fellow travelers, as as children of the same earth. Oh. That's, by the way, paragraph thirty-eight. I oh think. my gosh! Um, and of course, we want to avoid that xenophobic mentality because people close in on themselves, and that has to be addressed decisively. Okay. Mm. Um, mm, mm. And uh, put on your mask. You know, Shut up and put on your mask. And the other thing before we leave the encyclical I have to bring up here is it. I kept screaming, Red China, Communist Party of China. What is all this stuff about against the death penalty when China is the biggest death penalty uh, against innocent people in the world, but yep. nothing about China, right? And then what about this don't impose your ideology on people, right? What, what, what about the Vatican-China agreement? What is The Vatican is enabling... Uh, the Chinese communists to do precisely that. You know, the, the poor people in China, they have to take down crosses and put up images of Xi or Xi, whatever his name is. He is Xi. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are and we then, getting into a pronoun discussion now? I'm confused. No. <laughs> <laughs> paragraph, paragraph 42. Oddly enough, while closed and intolerant attitudes towards others are on the rise, Distances are otherwise shrinking or disappearing to the point that the right to privacy scarcely exists. Everything has become a kind of spectacle spectacle to be examined and inspected, and people's lives are now under constant surveillance. Now, the Pope was thinking Facebook and social media, but who? I'm who? thinking who? the who was, people in China. Who was thinking that? 
I, I, he, I think he's talking about social communications, uh, Bergoglio. Bergoglio. Okay, I was confused yeah. there for a minute. I thought I thought oh, you were bringing right, I thought you were enough. bringing Pope Benedict the Sixteenth gloriously reigning into this conversation. <laughs> well, no. Well, earlier on when you were talking about Vigano, um, there is a, an article he did recently. Not to go off on a tangent, but uh, no, we don't. Oath. We don't allow that here. No <laughs> tangents on the Barnhart podcast. No. Yeah. <laughs> Stay uh, on track, you know. sir. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Don't encourage me, and I'll I'll completely go off the highway here. Um, the uh, Bergoglio Vigano's got this article, and LifeSite News has it, where uh, Vigano is talking about the oath against modernism, right? Which mm-hmm. uh, uh, young Ratzinger and all the others were supposed to have sworn before they started the Second Vatican Council, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And and how yeah, he was an early unfortunately an early an early pioneer in all this stuff that that opened up pandora's box yeah he was um so i mean and by not clamping down on 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 people the way he you know sh- should have done i mean they made him out like he was the, uh, the 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 german rottweiler but he wasn't really i mean he he had too soft a touch if you ask me so um that's how we got to this point by having you know cardinal bergoglio and cardinal uh what was the guy martini for, although that was John Paul's pick. Yeah. But anyway, um, so Vigano has been critical, not just of, uh, maybe that's why he used the expression those uh, regarding probably, um, my, my, my surmise is that he's talking about Bergoglio and Benedetto in this case. Mm-hmm. So be- before we leave the uh, uh, encyclical, I'm making air quotes when I say that. Yeah. Um, how about um, they had to jam some communism in here too. So how about private property? That's not allowed anymore either, right? No, no, that's very selfish of you. Uh, <laughs> it's where does it? So I've got some good quotes on this one here. God help us. Um, <laughs> individualism. This is paragraph one hundred five. Uh, individualism does not make us more free, more equal, more fraternal. The mere sum of individual interests is not capable of generating a better world for the human family. Now, now let me contrast that with uh, what Pope Leo XIII had to say on this subject. Um, uh, what, what was the encyclical? I think I have it at my fingertips here. Uh, even, even right there, you have the, the commingling of truth with error where mm-hmm. he's sort of equating individualism with individual and those aren't the same thing individualism is at the root of many evils uh, today it's it's right back to the gospel according to Whitney Houston mm-hmm. and uh, you know something to be avoided and condemned whereas obviously the individual and individual god-given rights is a very good thing and it's very easy to conflate things that are polar opposites of each other. Mm-hmm. So Bergoglio or his ghostwriter <clears throat> or the two of them together wrote the right to private property can only be considered a secondary natural right derived from the principle of the universal destination of created goods. So let that sink in and contrast that with what uh, Leo the 13th writes in Rerum Novarum the first and most fundamental principle, therefore, 
if one would undertake to alleviate the condition of the masses, must be the inviolability of private property, unquote. I think I'm just going to... I'm just going to spitball here, but I think maybe a a clue, a, a small hint that private property is um, important and legitimate is the fact that it is addressed in the Decalogue three times. I, I You know, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not covet. I mean, I just, just going to put that out there. Just going to put that out there. You're way out on a limb. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you only have you know Moses and St. Thomas Aquinas backing you up on that one, yeah. I know, I know, Ugh. and I'm you know I'm an unlettered lay nothing too. So who who am I to say? Who am I to judge? Well, no, we we do want to pr- promote women in positions of authority in the church. No, shut up. <laughs> Man, we're just the best comedy team in the world. I just lobbed you those grapefruits and you hit them out of the park. Well done, sir. <laughs> so we're we're uh, an hour in. I don't know if we want to move on to uh, the the main attraction here in terms of the anti-papacy and uh, some observations and major premises of uh, of Dr. Matz's thesis and maybe some some. Developments, developments therein. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, been, it's been a while since we've done one of these. Mm-hmm, it hasn't mm-hmm, it seems yep. a, a while, and a lot of things are going on in the world. So I've just got some notes here, Dr. Matza, that maybe I'll, I'll read out bullet points, and you can uh, dive right in and sure. uh, t- take us through current events. So the first, uh, the first idea, and I'm not stating any of these as a position. They're just they're ideas that we want to expound upon. Uh, well, maybe the first one is a position. All resignations, all resignations made out of substantial error are invalid, ipso jure. Dr. Matza. Yes, I mean, that, that is canon law. Uh, you guys can quote the... That's canon 188. That's, that's 188, canon baby. That's our, that's our old school original, 188, yep. So that is, uh, if you don't understand that, then you don't understand this this whole business about the so-called resignation and what's going on in the church today. Well, and I see people now saying, you know, they're operating off the false base premise to start with that, um, well, no, actually not. I, let me, I stand corrected. Um, they say that the Pope can do absolutely anything that he wants. And I'm talking about Pope Benedict XVI and that he can resign however he wants with whatever language he wants. And there's absolutely nothing anyone can say or do about any of this. That is patently obviously false because why in the blue blazes does canon law specifically address this and specifically say, no, it it has to be this in such a way because God is very good at human resources management and he's and the whole thing is organized with these levels of protection built into it. So well, the ultimate condemnation of that uh, position is Canon 332.2. Yes, yes. Which, which is specific so 188 is is a general uh, it applies to any resignation. Mm-hmm. And it's common sense if you think about it. If there's substantial error involved in the resignation, it's invalid in and of itself. Canon 332.2 is specifically addressing a pope resigning. Mm-hmm. 
and he needs to do it in a certain way. So anyone taking the position, well, no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. He's the Pope. He can do whatever he wants. Well, the canon is right there specifically addressing the situation at hand. And so then we're into the law. We're violating the law of non-contradiction. You're saying that canon law both is and is not, that it's extant and it's non-existent simultaneously. Um, no, you logic applies here, folks. Um, it's right there. Why in the world would there be canon law on any of this if, if it was all totally irrelevant and it was just complete chaos and and the the pope could do absolutely whatever he wanted it makes no logical sense and that's where we keep coming back on all of this is logic 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 yeah and and you see you see these people and i saw a video recently um of a couple people just um, almost raging at each other about the clarity of Benedict's resignation, <laughs> anyone ever question? It's so clearly clear, and they're they're literally raging back and forth to each other, saying the same thing about how distinctly clear it is, and and any notion to the contrary is absurd. Um, well, well, um, I didn't watch it. I have, I just don't have any interest in watching things like that. But I was told that they kept saying that anyone who argued that Benedict's resignation was invalid was insane. Insane. Which, yeah, right. I, I don't and, know if they named so any know, names, but you know. Just, just so you know, I couldn't watch it. I could only watch about four minutes of it, and I did have to turn it off because it just, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Um, if if names were named, then that is what would that be? That would be slander, wouldn't it? That's that's a big deal when you start when you start declaring people to be detached from reality and mentally mentally unfit and insane. You better watch yourself, there, gentlemen, because you're getting into very very sticky territory with that. Mm-hmm. Dr. Matza, anything else on this one? Well, I was just listening to the voices in my head. Uh, wait a second. Uh, <laughs> Hold open. Hold open. Was your dog telling you to, <laughs> giving you instructions for the day? Or <laughs> I'm still friends with the monster under my bed. Okay, um... What's the frequency, Kenneth? Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Do we think the audience actually laughs like we laugh? I think so. I think so. So I would just remind the good folks who made that YouTube video about fraternal charity. And besides that, I would also remind uh, the Latin Mass magazine actually came out with an article over the summer um, by somebody that I respect uh, on this issue. I mean, not on this issue, but I respect him as a priest. Um, and he also kind of, you know, poo-pooed. Um, the issue that Benedict could still be the Pope without actually addressing the, the most serious arguments that clinch it. Um, so what I would maybe just do in the time that we have left here is just roll off a few things from the German biography of Benedict, Pope Benedict, that is coming out next month. But yours truly... Um, oh, scoop. <laughs> yours truly, using, well, using algorithmic... Uh, uh, <laughs> logic here uh did a translation of the german um and just to remind folks in case they've forgotten here um the question was put to pope benedict by um the journalist right seawald mm -hmm. your your visit to the grave of pope celestine v in 2009 the only pope who resigned before you 
and he meant voluntarily resign. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, and, and then Benedict answers, I was well aware that the situation of Celestine V was unique and could not serve as a model in any way. Uh, so there's there's that. Mm-hmm. Yes, I mean that's a full stop right there. <laughs> wow. Uh, what are some other gems we could pull from the last chapter of Benedict the Sixteenth, a life? Uh, let's count the ways here. It says here. Um, well, this is good on the Antichrist. He says, the fear of the spiritual power of the Antichrist is all too natural, and it really takes the prayer of an entire diocese and world church to resist it. This gets us back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, th- what, what diocese might he be speaking about? Mm. Uh, maybe Rome? Maybe, maybe. Uh, <laughs> uh, and if, if he has stepped to the side, so to speak, um, then the, the Antichrist is you know waiting down the hallway to, to actually be enthroned here soon. Um, and he goes on to say here that... Um, what about the the forces that are attacking? He basically says that the Antichrist forces are attacking Peter, and that's what they need to sort of eliminate first before they can go on to do the rest of their damage. Um, I'm trying to find the exact quote where he says this here. He says... Uh, well, we'll give you time to, to, to look for that. I'll make another point going back to the... Uh, um, that we're 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 not insane because the the uh, another premise being that a partial resignation is not allowed nor valid under canon law and that goes to canon 131.1 and that's not what we're saying whether he attempted a partial resignation or not a partial resignation was not um executed Benedict is still fully the Pope because of what happened. Right. And, it's it's a fiction. And, it's a fiction. The whole split it in half, cutie, cutie, patootie. That's, it's a fiction. And um, Dr. Matza, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think where you are on this and where you are in your thesis, because you had your, your two scenarios that, we, that in your first essay, or your second essay, the two scenarios. Um, mm-hmm. y- are you... Do you think that he severed the vicarship, the vicariate, from the See of Rome? Or do you think it's just all a big error? You know, I'm an optimist, so I would like to think, excuse me, I would like to think that he actually was doing 4D chess and deliberately separated the vicarship of Christ from the bishopric of Rome. Um, However, (laughs) (laughs) cold reality sometimes hits me over the head with a two by four. And and it uh, I I, so I won't discount anybody who who thinks the opposite, who thinks that, no, he he tried to keep part of the papacy um, by giving up part of it, but keeping the rest of it and and therefore making uh, an an error, a serious error there. Um, But what I think is not disputable is beyond dispute here is that he believes he has an ontological connection mm-hmm. to to the see of rome and i i will back that up in court i will mm-hmm. i can cite chapter and verse from all these different seawald interviews yeah well, is, um, is it an point. ontological connection to the sea or to the vicarship 
But that's see, that's the thing. If the vicarship is inseparable from the See of Rome, and he claims that he himself, as Pope Emeritus, is inseparable from the See of Rome, then it logically follows, the syllogism logically follows that he uh, is not separable from Vicar of Christ. I mean, he, 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 you can't be Pope Emeritus or Bishop Emeritus of the Diocese of Rome without simultaneously being the uh, Vicar of Christ Emeritus. I mean, we we went we went right. We went yeah. This, we did. We Mazakas four mm-hmm. for those who might be confused by this. But in, in a nutshell, the vicarship of Christ is either locked forever with the See of Rome, or the Pope has the authority while he's still Pope to separate the two. All right. So if he didn't separate the two, and yet he still claims to be Bishop Emeritus of the diocese, then according to according to logic, you guys correct me if I'm wrong here. He, what he's tacitly saying is, I'm still vicar emeritus of Christ, and there is no such thing. Mm-hmm. Right. So therefore, he resigned with serious error, uh, and, and, and he, he, he didn't properly resign. And therefore, I, he still oh. Let me put out a third possibility, which is kind of, this is, this is where, I, where I find myself, is that he, he just blindly stumbled he maybe just blindly stumbled into this, but the divine providence is working with his heir to protect the church. You see what I'm saying? Think about how many times in mm. your own life where you've, you've screwed up and you've done something or made some bad decision, but the divine providence, because he loves us so much, says, okay, I'm going to cause good to come out of this. I think this. I think this is his stumbling into this protection of the church, I don't believe that he's playing 4D chess because the body of his work and the history, his personal history, all of it indicates that he actually just wanted to quit. He wanted to cut and run somehow, and he thought this cutie patootie little thing up, and it ended up being what has protected the papacy, protected infallibility, protected. Um, the indefectibility of the church, yada, yada, yada. It makes everything fall into place, which is why the three of us, our faith is shooting up through the roof with each passing day as we watch all this unfold and see the goodness of God. And people who are on the other side are seriously talking about going to the Eastern Orthodox, um, about how the church has been totally wrong, how everything's been totally wrong maybe for 2,000 years. Infallibility, this is all garbage. If you think that the papacy is anything special, you're guilty of idolatry. But at the same time, you you have to submit to a man who you in the in in the same breath you say he's of absolutely no importance and if you think he's of any importance you're an idolater but you have to submit to him or else you're schismatic again would somebody please draw that flow chart for me because it's gonna i'm I'm telling you it's gonna be a klein bottle is what that bad boy is gonna be it's gonna be a klein bottle you can't you can't make that work not not in not in four-dimensional space-time you can't that makes no sense so that's that's why we're here that's why we're doing what we're doing as best we can because it's it's souls at risk that's what i mean it's 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 terrible to think about 
what's happening and these people are losing their faith yeah. because they can't square the circle because of course you can't yeah it may, it's a it's a false base premise it makes absolutely no sense the the entire edifice collapses and it's the saddest thing in the world but this peer pressure thing it's it's kind of goes to the same thing with all the people running around wearing the masks it just doesn't matter how much you show them it's you know the people on the television said this this and this and you have to wear a mask and everybody's going to die it's that same level of just it's it's a species of irrationality really and, I, had yeah. greatest, I had the greatest vignette the other day uh, I was driving. If I hadn't been driving, I would have taken a picture of it and used it as a meme. Uh, this this uh, lady on a bicycle with a T-shirt that says "Fearless," and she, of course, she's got the mask. mask on. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So it comes. It so many times it does comes back to visibility. And what I if I if I had a chance to get in front of some of these folks, what I would I think the first thing I would ask them was I'd, I'd show them the 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 visual evidence of pope benedict in the last seven years mm -hmm. in terms of the way he acts the way he uh, where he lives what he wears uh, uh, giving the his apostolic blessing you know all the things that we've talked about a, a, a thousand times i and mean the literally the one the one thing about the only argument that any of these people make when you bring that up is is well he's not wearing the red shoes and i'm not kidding you i've had people oh i've had people tell me that the fact that he is not wearing red shoes is proof that all other evidence is irrelevant that is how weak the rebuttal is yeah, it's it's. But anyway, the the question that I would pose to them was after okay, so he's not wearing the red shoes. Well, I just gave you like ten other things. Mm -hmm. Do you think this evidence points to Benedict ha thinking that he himself has retained some portion of mm -hmm. the papacy, the vicarship? Do, do you think that he thinks that he has maintained any semblance of it at all, even just a little bit? Mm -hmm. You know, how could they really answer no to that? Mm -hmm. If you And if you can't answer no to that, then guess what? If he thinks he retained even a smidgen of it, there's substantial error there. There you go. Slam dunk. He's he if he were if he believes that he retained a smidgen of it, he did, in fact, retain all of it. And it's it's just patently obvious at this point. But and, and if his resignation was entirely unlike any other papal resignation. What? Wh what? Yeah. What? Why? Why? How is it unique? In what way is it unique? Let's it's ask. Like the immaculate. It's like the immaculate conception. Oh guy. yeah, that's right. It but, is yeah. like the immaculate conception. Yeah. That's right. Yes. That that time I quit my job and and it was like the immaculate conception. Yes. To totally normal. Totally normal. Totally normal. Yeah. And it real that really is a a telling. Um, so that was uh, Ganswine in 2016 at, at the speech at the Greg comparing, making the direct comparison and not in any sort of um, uh, lighthearted way. No. And think about it, that it, it, coming from that viewpoint, let's, I mean, let's say that Ganswine is in line with Benedict, that if they really think they pulled that off, it, it's, it's not a, a, an outrageous comparison if, if that's your viewpoint, because it would be maybe not quite that epic, but 
pretty epic. Yeah, to, and may I use their own phrase, to fundamentally transform an office established by Christ himself. Yeah, you're right. It would be in that general category header. Yep, absolutely. They've managed to demythologize the papacy. Well, the, well what we, what we have to do but. is we have to build it back up now and we have to get it. The, the key to all of this is for the Holy Father Pope Benedict and for the Cardinal Princes of the Church to have the humility. Interesting, interesting that it's humility. Humility is knowing first and foremost what you are not, but humility is also knowing what you are. The Holy Father is the vicar of Christ on earth, the absolute monarch of, of monarchs. He can do anything he wants. He, he needs to believe in his own office. And the same goes for the cardinal princes of the church. They need to realize what they are and the responsibility that they have to get this squared away. You know, at minimum, they have a responsibility to read every word of those seawalled interviews. Mm-hmm. Benedict, especially where he talks about his resignation, I mean, I think it was um, Monsignor, um, forgetting his name now, who said that we should look into the resignation. Um, he used to be on the causes of saints. But anyway, there was a, a famous Monsignor who was a friend of Benedict who said that we need to look in October of 2018. Was it Books? Oh, Books, yeah, Books, exactly. yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He said, look, we have to, because of what's going on with Francis, because of all this craziness, we need to look into that resignation okay so he's just he's not a crazy person i don't think no he wrote a very good he's written several very holy books that i know of anyway um so at minimum the cardinals of the church the bishops of the church have an obligation before god to read every word that benedict has you know purportedly said and to read stuff like when when seawold asks him some people think that you know listen to this one objection is that the papacy has been secularized by the resignation, or you and you and I, right? We would use the word demythologized. Right. That, that that it's no. And he says that it's no longer a unique office, but an office like any other. And and what does uh, Benedetto say in reply? He says, "Yes, I had to consider whether or not functionalism would completely encroach on the papacy." And he goes on to say that. A father does not stop being a father, but is relieved of concrete responsibility. Yep. He remains the father in a deep inward sense, in a particular relationship which has responsibility, but not with day-to-day tasks as such. If he steps down, he remains in an inner sense within the responsibility he took on, but not in the function. And thus, at the end, he says, one comes to understand that the office of the Pope has lost none of its greatness. In other words, Benedict insists the papacy has not been demythologized because he's still within the responsibility of it. Right. He's still he's still maintaining an ontological connection. Participation. Even though the act of governance is being handled by someone else. A spiritual connection is expressed that cannot be removed under any circumstances. Uh, his words. Under any circumstances. Now, now, understand, listeners, what we're talking about here is not um, under any circumstances. We're not what we're not. We are not saying that is it is impossible for a pope to resign. A pope can resign. That's why canon law addresses it. 
What our position is, is that he didn't do it. He did some weird thing that was invalid. It is possible for a pope to resign. You keep seeing people get confused about this and, you know, comment boxes and so on and so forth. People saying, oh, the pope can't resign. The pope can't. Well, no, that's not accurate. He could have resigned validly and gone away. And, you know, history would have been very, very different if he had done that. But he he could have done that. That's not what we're... We're not saying that he couldn't do it. We're saying that he screwed it up. That's what we're saying. Yeah, and then the question becomes, what does Benedict believe? Does Benedict believe that he could have really totally, completely resigned? Or doesn't he believe that? And, you know, interesting. interestingly, in terms of the purely juridical approach to this, which is the approach that has to be taken, even if you got, got him, sat him down, put him under oath, and just and interrogated him, technically, nothing that he says today is germane, because all that matters juridically is what happened in February of 2013. That is what matters. You, he, can, he can go all over the place, say, yes, no, maybe so, get up and do a little Bavarian dance. He can do anything today. Juridically, any canon lawyer and any civil lawyer, um, any you know, secular lawyer will tell you that doesn't matter. What matters is what happened in the moment. What, what was the situation? That's what matters. So really, I, you know, I've tried to explain this to people. You, you really don't need to go and talk to him necessarily. It, this, is not, this isn't even hinging on, on Pope Benedict himself. If anyone goes and talks to him, the talk should be somebody with, with a very, very high level of authority, a canon lawyer, preferably a cardinal prince of the church, would go with, with a posse, with backup, with a whole crew, and say, listen, Holy Father, your resignation was invalid. Statement, period, full stop. Don't really need to ask him, don't need to ask him any questions. It's, it's interesting in terms, of, in terms of history and how history will, will record all this, but it's not legally, juridically necessary. You can just go and tell him, this, you, it was invalid, you are the Pope. Right, well, the, the, the quote that I like the best is, he needs to be told that he's Pope whether he likes it or not. Yeah, whether he likes it or not. Because and, 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 and you're right in saying that the only thing that matters is what happened in 2013. Yep. Was this juridical act valid? No, it wasn't. And then, and then, and then see, we have even a more beautiful double protection here. People would say, well, what if he just drafted up a, a resignation and said, I resigned the office of the papacy and went off and lived in a castle in Bavaria wearing a black cassock for the rest of his life? Praise God. You know what that would prove? It would prove that the one in February of 2013 was invalid. Because he because he can't he can't resign twice. If he's resigning it today in 2020, he can't res, he he can't be double resigning. It would just prove it would prove that the whole thing has been the whole Bergolian anti papacy has been an absolute fraud and lie, which it has. Mm-hmm. Whew. man. Tell me what you really think, guys. Uh, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> Well, we're at an hour and 30 minutes. I don't know if we want to. I'm sort of out of topic. So, Dr. Matz, I'm just going to toss it back over to you if you, if you uh, want to uh, get us started on, on one or two last points. 
Sure, sure. Um, you know, today is the uh, feast day on, on the Novus Ordo calendar of Blessed Bartolo Longo. Mm. And so since he's a Neapolitan like myself, I can't help bringing him up. I think he's a good patron saint for our current situation here. Uh, those that don't know Blessed Bartolo Longo, uh, he was a priest of Satan. <laughs> yeah. Yes, he was. Yeah. Yes, he was. <laughs> His, uh, I'm reading from an article online. Uh, his thirst for the supernatural led him into outright Satanism. I was tempted when Judge Ruth Bader Ginsburg died to do the same, and when when, when Amy Coney Barrett was appointed, don't you think? Yes. It's actually, it's actually a story that is it's actually true. Somebody actually decided to join the Satanic Temple because of Amy Coney Barrett, but that's not story. I posted about that. It, yeah. was, it was in Huffington Post, and I pasted it right into the blog. Yep. Anyway, uh, after a period of intense study, such as rigorous fasting, he was reduced to skin and bones. He was consecrated as satanic priest and promised his soul to a demon. And the next year he began to preside over satanic services and to preach more boldly and blasphemously against God and his church. Uh, but thanks to Our Lady, uh, he was converted and he is associated with Our Lady of the Rosary of Pompeii you know, just outside of, of Naples. Yeah. And um, uh, on one day in the fields around Pompeii, he wrote, I recalled my former condition as a priest of Satan. I thought that perhaps as the priesthood of Christ is for eternity, so also the priesthood of Satan is for eternity. So despite my repentance, I thought I am still consecrated to Satan and I am still his slave and property as he awaits me in hell. As I pondered over my condition, I experienced a deep sense of despair and almost committed suicide. Then I heard an echo in my ear of the voice of Friar Alberto repeating the words of the Blessed Virgin Mary, quote, one who propagates my rosary shall be saved, unquote. Wow. Falling to my knees, I exclaimed, quote, if your words are true, that he who propagates your rosary will be saved, I shall reach salvation because I shall not leave this earth without propagating your rosary, unquote. So Amen. he yeah. spent the rest of his whole life beginning in Pompeii, spreading the rosary, and um, and he built the, the Basilica of Our Lady of the Most Holy Rosary and founded elementary schools and orphanages. And uh, So blessed Bartolo Longo, pray for us. Pray for us. Pray for us. Amen. Well, we also have the feast of... Um, our Lady of the Rosary, Our Lady of Victory, on Wednesday of this week, uh, October 7th. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Battle of Lepanto was fought on October the Sunday, October the 7th, 1571. So that feast could also have been celebrated yesterday. I know um, here in Phoenix we had a couple of the Masses were dedicated to that. A couple of the Masses were were said for the, the Sunday of the, uh, the 18th Sunday after Pentecost. But... Um, Maybe you got it yesterday. You're going to get it Wednesday. And um, Our Lady, pray for us. Yeah, and, Lady of oh, Victory. Oh, Our Lady of Victory. Pray for and, us. And um, actually, we should plan something because next year is the 450th anniversary of the uh, victory at Lepanto. Yeah. Or maybe heaven is planning something for a year from now. <laughs> but, um, and, uh, and then, of course, is it Saturday or Sunday is the anniversary of the 103rd apparition at 103rd anniversary of the apparition of the Dance of the Sun at mm. the yes, final yes. apparition of Fatima. Yep. Yep. So it's, it's a great time to be praying for the church, for the president, and to fight against the Antichrist. Amen. Amen. 
Okay, I've got one last prayer. In Poland today, in the Novus Ordo, it is the Feast of Faustina. So I thought I'd pray the consecration to Divine Mercy, and I will put this, uh, it's in the first person, so I'll put this in the, in the show notes as well. Okay. O most sacred heart of Jesus, I consecrate myself to your Divine Mercy without reserve. May I be all yours. Remove from me whatever would separate me from you. In your mercy, provide for all our needs. O blood and water, which gushed forth from the heart of Jesus as a fountain of mercy for us, I trust in you. Amen. Amen. Okay, so let me get to my close. And anything else from you? Stall nope. for me. No, I think this was an absolutely excellent episode. Okay. So, feedback. The email address for the show, if you have any comments or suggestions, is podcast at barnhart.biz. Masses for Anne's benefactors, at least one mass every month or every day. Ah, every day. (laughs) Big difference there. (laughs) Don't sell me short. (laughs) I'm stumbling. And what one requiem every week for everyone who died in the previous week. Please pray for these priests and for all priests. Now more than ever, the satanic forces are attacking. And I'm willing to bet that just about everybody is feeling that right now. Yeah. Um, But your, your, your prayers to God for this intention for these priests can help hold back that tide. The Barnhart Podcast is a production of Super Nerd Media. If you got some value out of this or previous podcast and would like to return some value, please visit supermedia.com. Super, supernerdmedia.com. Did I mess that up again? Yeah, you said supermedia.com. Supernerdmedia.com. Supernerdmedia.com hey. slash donate. There you go. Uh, Super Nerd always, uh, you're hearing this to your ear right now because Super Nerd takes our twisted audio and makes it all fit together and it takes a little bit of time. So uh, thank you to him and uh, supernerdmedia.com slash donate. He also keeps Anne's site going against mm-hmm. all cyber threats, foreign and domestic. Indeed. And would you like to do the Matthew 17.20? Of course. Matthew 17.20 intention is fourfold. The first intention is that the Bergolian anti-papacy be publicly acknowledged and brought to an end. The second intention is that Pope Benedict XVI be, be publicly acknowledged as having been the one and only living pope since April of 2005. The third intention is that Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace in the fullness of time, and someday achieve the beatific vision. And that, and the fourth intention is that Pope Benedict XVI repent of whatever he might need to repent of, die in a state of grace in the fullness of time, and likewise someday achieve the beatific vision. Nothing less will do. Our Lady, undoer of knots, pray, pray for, for us. us. Yeah. Amen. Well, thank you both. Until next time, I'm Mark. Stay frosty, my friends. And I'm Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless.